And welcome to Have Another Cuppa with me, Daisy Williams. I hope you've all had a brilliant week. Now, my guest this week is the lovely Emma Newrick, who's the project officer for the redevelopment of the Transporter Bridge in Newport. I had a brilliant chat with her about her role at the museum and the upcoming plans for the redevelopment. And she let me have a little look around as well at some of the exhibitions, which I will show you on Instagram, Twitter or our Facebook page. Hope you all enjoy the episode. Burger or fish and chips? Fish and chips. Favourite colour? Black. Favourite place? Ooh, New York. Mm, nice. Uh, if you could be a cat or a dog, which would you be? A dog. I hate cats. <laughs> Absolutely hate them. Would you rather chocolate or crisps? Oh, crisps. What's your favourite season? Ooh, winter. What's your least favourite season? That's a tricky one, isn't it? Everyone's going to mm. like flinch now. Partly summer, because <laughs> I don't like being too hot. No, I know. And I'll be too sweaty. Yeah, nice. That's okay. always a problem. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Ooh, to fly. Nice. And would you rather go see a concert or a show? Oh, that's so difficult, isn't it? A concert. I think so you can feel part of it more than you do with a show. Nice. There we go, brilliant. Yeah. So oh, they're quick okay. five questions to start us off. So, where are you from originally? From Newport originally? I'm from Newport originally, and then I went to university up in Liverpool, mm-hmm. and then moved back down again. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, so you went to Liverpool. What do you study in Liverpool? History. Ah, interesting. And any particular area of history, or...? The degree kind of covered all sorts, mm. really. So we did political modules, um, we looked at protest looked at American history, and then I did my dissertation on the South Wales miners' lockout of 1926 and why the lockout continued for a longer period of time in South Wales than it did anywhere else in the country. Oh, interesting. I don't know a lot about that. You'll have to tell me about that. (laughs) Yes, you came back to Newport after being in Liverpool. What did you do then? Did you come here straight away to work? I didn't. I didn't. I I think it's it's always the way, isn't it? When you finish university, you think... Oh, what am I going to do now? What do I do with a history degree? And I think it's sort of embedded in you that you'll be able to walk straight into the job of your dreams and you're going to earn, you know, Mm. X amount straight away and then obviously it doesn't happen. So I ended up temping for a little while and then getting a temp job in a waste treatment plant. Oh. Um, Just working in the office there, doing admin. (laughs) Not doing the waste waste treatment, (laughs) but just in the office. And then they gave me a position, worked there for a year, and then a post came up here for the museum service. So... I went for it. It was a it was a lovely job title. It was community memories officer. Oh, there's lovely. And it and it was a really lovely project. It was grant funded, mm. so it was a temporary contract. And I was working with um, BAME communities, trying to record their stories and their history and how we can celebrate the diversity of Newport mm. through the history of those communities. It was really lovely, um, but as I said, it was grant funded. Mm. So then I kind of. switched around the museum service doing community history post um i was learning access officer down at the newport ship as well because the museums and heritage service here is the museum an art gallery the newport ship and also the transporter bridge Mm -hmm. so 
and, and there was Jadiga House at that time yeah, as well before yeah. I went to the National Trust. So it was, you know, kind of a mixture of, of going around mm. doing all sorts of different things. Um, and then I got a secondment position at the Museum in Killian as oh, a yes. learning manager yeah. and I absolutely loved working there. Is that the Roman one? It yeah. is and yeah. it was just it was my favourite place mm. in the world to work. It really was. It was just such an amazing team mm. and all of us felt really valued. All of us, you know, our opinions were always listened to and it was very it's a very nurturing environment, I think. Mm. Gained a lot of experience there. But it was only a year's post and I was Aww. gutted that I couldn't I couldn't stay. Mm. So I came back here but moved um, across to Regen, so nice. regeneration within the council. Yeah. Worked on the Pill Regen project, and then several different positions after that. Then, so I worked at the Fire and Line Museum, which is based in Cardiff Castle. Oh, okay. Um, worked on another grant-funded project called Cardiff Remembers, which was looking at the First World War, mm. and um, and how it how Cardiff as a city was affected and how its communities was affected by that, and then did stuff with you know a f- the fusion program here in Newport, and then finally got. This post has so been a lot of sort of chopping yeah. and changing around. It's mainly all grant funded work, and I think that's why a lot of my positions have mm. well, there's, there's so many, I guess, in my CV mm. at the moment, but it's because of that. Yeah, I think people don't realize that it's the same in the arts, everything is very much grant funded. Oh, 100%. So, the short term, mm-hmm. you know, programs or uh, projects, and it's difficult then because I feel like in the arts, it might be slightly different, but they always want to know what the legacy is going to be yeah and you think okay we can you give us money for a six month project or a year project and you obviously can make a legacy with that but they don't just last on their own do they they need that continued support Um, they do and i think that that's that's unfortunately one of the main issues i think that i've encountered since starting my career and it has mainly been that as you said the nature of it being a fixed term and they're expecting that legacy afterwards but what you tend to find is that there are some members you know some communities who are reluctant to sometimes get involved because they feel like someone's just dropping in doing some work with them and it might be amazing and it might create a massive Mm. impact but then afterwards that person drops out again or you spend so long building up a relationship with a community and then it's that they have that relationship with you as an individual mm. and not necessarily as an organisation. Mm. So then sometimes you tend to find that that community then follows you around if yeah. you stay within the area. Yeah, yeah. Depends on where you're working. Mm. You know, that's something that I encounter quite a lot, actually. Mm. Um, but I think it is it's trying to encourage funders to look at sustainability afterwards we do need to think about what happens in a year's time or two years time after that and although you can put um sort of measures in place you look at some of the projects i've worked on we've looked you know um training up volunteers to try and continue some of the work we were mm. doing afterwards and of course that works to a certain degree but you always have to have someone in post to manage those volunteers then yeah. and it's always a capacity issue and i think right across the heritage sector you know we've been um, hit by so many cuts mm. that a lot of institutions are down now to sort of skeleton staff and mm. what perhaps started off as being a specialist post for example, within a museum sector, you know, you might have been curator of archaeology, mm. and now all of a sudden, you end up being collections and engagement because 
you know, your your learning access yeah. positions have been cut mm. because you tend to find that access sometimes is the first, oh, really? the first sort of post to be cut, yeah, because wow. they think that anyone can do it. They think anyone yeah. is capable of going out and engaging with, with people. It's so hard. Oh, my goodness. I, I did a job a couple of months ago, and it was the same, you know, going into the community and getting people to come and see your work, see a show that we had on. Oh, it's so difficult, especially for audiences who don't go to the theatre or don't come to museums or don't take part in community activities. It's not part of the everyday thing. It's they wouldn't not, think and they feel very uncomfortable. They do and I can completely appreciate that mm. and understand that. And often cost of um, tickets yeah. can also be a, a major issue around mm. that. Um, I've worked on the Fusion Programme mm-hmm. in Wales, and it's a grant-funded programme um, through the, the Welsh Government. And it's all about increasing opportunities for communities to access culture and heritage. So here in Newport, we've got a massive network of partners. So the River Friends in Newport Live, yeah. Opera Sonic, um, Resilient Communities. Mm. And it's all about how we can create volunteering opportunities or work with schools Mm. to access resources that they may not know about you know we did a fantastic project with ringland primary school and their year two class and it was an eco fashion project okay and it was just phenomenal so um myself my colleague naz we went in and worked with the class because naz is very creative you Mm. know she's very hands-on she's an artist Mm. a community artist and she was able to to inspire the pupils um, to make their own couture pieces oh. and we did a, a runway show at the end of it for all Brilliant. their parents and you know and part of the school mm. but to, to witness the change in those in that class really from mm. the moment that we went in until the final show was just amazing mm. because you know they come from from families who as you said may not think about taking their children to the to the theatre mm. or to a museum or may not have the opportunity to yeah. do so for, for one reason or another and we took all the all the class to um the museum of fashion in bath wow well for for all of apart from one child no one had ever been to a museum before that's amazing isn't it? and we we did wonder oh, how are they gonna um react within mm. that situation because it's quite it's not necessarily a child-friendly museum no. Yeah. Um, but they absolutely loved it. They had their sketchbooks oh. and they sat down in front of um, in front of the cases, looking at detail mm. and you know, really being inspired by what mm. they could create and what materials they could use. And one little boy at the end of the day said to me, "Oh, but, but Emma, we haven't learned anything because we haven't been in school today." And I was like, "Wow, you don't just have to learn when you're at mm. school." We can learn, or every time, you know, it doesn't matter where we go, we can always be learning. And he was like, oh, that's amazing. <laughs> and um, and it was just, it was fantastic. You know, so they made pieces out of paper, pieces out of black bags, out of plastic. They upcycled clothes. And their confidence levels increased massively. And their creativity as well. You know, the class teacher, Emily, said that they were approaching her more often to say oh can we do this or can we do it in this way and the the way they were thinking about problems completely changed as well and you know they just to be able to do that with a class was fantastic Mm. you know and it's a great way of us building up a relationship Mm. with the school which we've done but it is it is difficult because you do think then oh well 
are those children ever going to have opportunities like yeah. that again? It's interesting, but like you said, hopefully it sparked something. Yeah. That will, like you said, their confidence has grown. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is almost a thing of like two steps forward, one step back almost. Yes. So they'll grow in that and then there'll be a change, they've got to comp or something, you know, which is always a massive change. It is, you know, the it? change yes. is so It's so bizarre to see the change between year six, six. and year seven. Oh, and, yeah. But it sounds like it's made a really good positive change and hopefully the teachers will continue that into the class. Absolutely. You know, having that communication between the teacher and you then. Yes. But, um, that sounds amazing. So I just want to go do that project now. Again. Oh, I'll have to show you some of the photos. It was just incredible. And I think that, you know, even on the day, we were a little bit worried about a couple of the pupils mm. because they were they were very intimidated by the thought of having to, to walk down this catwalk. Mm. Um, and one little boy, Jamie, his mum and dad came up to us at the end and they said we would never have thought he would ever, mm. ever do that. And he did it. And that was massive, yeah. but for also, you know, I think for the for the the school that they noticed the fact that all the parents, or at least somebody attached to the family, came to that catwalk mm. show, and that was massive for the school yeah. because you know sometimes they said you know parent engagement can be a little bit low, mm. but it's because the children were going home constantly and talking. About, they were all hyped up every yeah, Thursday when yeah. you know we were sending them home like little bottles of pop, and I felt. <laughs> felt sorry for the for the parents mind to be honest because yeah they were just they were just yeah all over the place, bouncing off the walls <laughs> yeah completely but it was also again them to think about the sustainability of the fashion industry yeah and you know they were they were looking at where do our clothes come from mm. you know and, and i guess it, we're very much of a disposable culture sometimes yeah. aren't we so that mm. You know, back in World War Two, if there was a hole in your sock, you'd darn it, so wouldn't you? Yeah. Some darning mushroom, and then I showed the the children a darning mushroom, mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, "What's that? Do you use it to massage your back with?" And because they'd never seen one before, yeah. because we're so used to our holes in the sock, chicken bin. Yeah, and I think it's that thing of, as well. Stuff isn't made to last either these no. days. Things are just so cheap, you know, in some shops you can go and just buy five pairs of pants for a pound or whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, or socks. And yeah, you do you do just think, all oh, right, throw that away. But um I watched a documentary Stacey Dooley did. They did the amount it. of water for each they've I yeah. clothes. And my brain still can't quite grasp the you know, the amounts and stuff for like one t shirt. But it's amazing, isn't it? It really is, and the pupils watched part of that documentary, uh, and it's what sort of inspired them in the first mm-hmm. instance to to do a fashion project yeah. and to and to look at that topic. But what was lovely as well is that, I guess, now uh, the change in the curriculum, it's all about encouraging because we're more cross curricular with the learning. Yeah, it's so the Donaldson report. Isn't it, it is, isn't yeah. It? So they brought in more, you know, mathematics, looking at the fact, like you said, with the fashion, how many you know, yeah. the water and needed to do X, Y and Z mm. and, you know, look at the effect on our ecosystem, mm. how long does it take for a piece of clothing to degrade, all of that sort of stuff. Mm. And it was just, I guess there were so many facets to that project that one of those things I think that, although it's very exhausting, and it was exhausting, <laughs> I, couldn't, I, know, I couldn't be a teacher. Oh, I couldn't be a teacher. <laughs> you know, I, I, I deal with a lot of school children yeah. and, we do a, and we facilitate a lot of workshops mm. But it's generally, you know, sort of like an hour at a time. Yeah, you can send them back. I can send them back, yeah. <laughs> and I just think, oh my goodness, and and watching what you say and the way you say it because they're very impressionable and they pick I up, know. they pick up on things so quickly. Mm. Um, 
but it was it was you know just looking as well about how you could bring in the history of clothing yeah. as well and you know what did we all wear when we were younger and the styles mm. that change mm. you know some of them come back some of them don't yeah. some of us are very embarrassed about what we used to wear <laughs> you know when we, when we were their age and yeah stuff like that yeah kids these days look like fashion models i think <gasps> they do that they... makes you feel old now <laughs> these days but no they do when i was a kid my, me and my sister were dressed in matching dresses we'd have our hair in the same mm. way you know, I don't know if you're if you've got something, I was, but you know I was oversized jumpers and leggings <laughs> all the time. That came in when I was about twelve. That was constantly the, yeah, leggings and leggings. As boots. Um, oh, I loved. Yeah, Ugg boots were a bit later for me. Yeah, but I loved <laughs> boots. Um, massive platform shoes still. Nice. And um, and I don't know how I walked in. I really don't. When I was in, I just I have no idea how I could have walked mm. in because I don't wear heels now at all. Yeah, I think. No. For me, when I was a kid, it was the jelly shoes. Oh, yeah. I used to wear them with, like, little fluffy socks. Well, they came back in back. as well. I yeah. know. And my friend wore them in uni, and I was like, you're 21. <laughs> Not eight? What are you doing? <laughs> but it's mad, is it, how stuff comes back, and that's really interesting to see. Mm. What is your role in these projects at you... the moment my role um it's a very fancy title oh. but it's basically i do a bit of everything mm. um so i'm the transformation project officer oh. for the transporter bridge so at the moment my role is looking at how we can prepare for our stage two application to the national lottery heritage fund so we'll submit our application in march next year so since February it's been about gathering momentum it's been working with a number of consultants architects conservation engineers to ascertain um, how much restoration work will be needed on the actual bridge structure itself Mm. lots of consultation work surrounding the building of a new visitor centre what facilities we need in that visitor centre, what activities we should be running as part of the redevelopment, um, what do people want? Yeah, because it's that thing, isn't it? It's it's that balance between what the museum wants, Mm -hmm. what people want, and then what is needed to make all that work, isn't it? Absolutely, and I think that this whole process has been one massive learning curve. Mm. There are things that I've been doing within this role that I never imagined I would ever do, So we had a meeting this week with the interior designer and I went all style at home, Yay. you know, cutting bits out Pinterest of magazines. Board. Yeah, Pinterest <laughs> board, you know, lots of um, different colours for different different room spaces. Mm. And also toilets. I've never thought about toilets so yeah. much in my life <laughs> because we're, we're constantly thinking about accessibility. I was going to say access again. It's yeah. 100%. So, we, we're, you know, we're um, ensuring that our new Vista Centre, if we get the money, yeah. um, will have a changing place toilet mm-hmm. for um, disabled adults. We'll also have accessible toilets, mm-hmm. male and female toilets, but with baby changing in mm. both of them because that's always a problem sometimes. Yeah. People, baby changing is either in the disabled toilet or in the women's, or in the women's toilet. Yeah. yeah, thinking about cubicle sizes so that families, if they need to take their child into the yeah. cubicle with them, then they can. Yeah. All sorts of things like that, you know, and, and looking at what we we practically need from that space in order to mm. deliver the activities that the community want from us yeah. but also creating a design that's that showcases its 
it as a tourist destination. Yeah. And not just a tourist destination here in Newport, but on a, a regional and an international scale even. You know, mm. that's that's an aspiration that we're mm. we're kind of heading for. Because Newport does get a lot of bad publicity mm. um, and there's definitely sometimes a negative attitude which kind of supersedes any positive thing that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we want, you know, especially with the bridge tolls going... Yeah. We want to encourage yeah. people to come over to Bristol and spend a day here yeah. or, you know, and they can come and see a theatre performance on the bridge, yeah. like with Moby Dick and Tin yeah. Shed. Um, and then they could go to, you know, come into town and come to the museum or yeah. they could go to 14 Locks and walk along the canal mm. or join the Wales Coastal Path at the bridge yeah. and walk down to the wetlands. Yeah. There's enough here to keep people occupied for a day or even a weekend but I just don't think we're not we're not shouting about that in the right way I was gonna say because I wasn't aware of all of those elements Mm -hmm. and I wasn't aware they were all connected either do you know what I mean having them in my brain they were sort of four separate things exactly Um, yeah I think there's lots of work we're doing at the moment around rebranding the service to make people aware that when they are at the museum then they could also go to the ship and go to the bridge at the same time. Mm-hmm. But we do so much partnership work, mm. you know, not only with sort of local community organisations, but with other grant-funded yeah. projects. So the Living Levels project that's run by the RSPB, mm. and that's looking at the history of the Gwent Levels. And they've they've received, you know, um, a lot of Heritage Fund money mm. as well to do that. But tying up so that we're not... We're all putting on a more cohesive approach mm. to things rather than thinking of ourselves as individual places. Yeah. If we're going to get, you know, an increase in visitors, then we have to work together. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just banging your head against a wall. <laughs> and, you know, there are some mm. organisations that have got a big marketing budget yeah. and there are others like ourselves, you know, being local authority, we've got a very small marketing budget. Mm. But there's definitely things that we can all be doing. Mm-hmm which will be more appealing to a visitor who's yeah. coming into the city. Just sort of go back to basics. Mm. If anyone doesn't know, what is the Transporter Bridge and why is it there? Because I think that's quite a... It's a lovely story, yeah. I think, and that's the thing. So that's one of the main problems that people have said as part of our consultation mm. work is that you it dominates the skyline. So you can see the Transporter Bridge from all across Newport and it's, it's a very impressive structure. You know, it's... Um, 278 feet tall I think Mm. and it's the best way to describe it is that it's a bit like an aerial ferry yeah so you can either walk climb the stairs and walk up and over the top so you can see the views from the top (laughs) and it's they are incredible I mean it is a feat to climb it yeah I know a lot of people have uh not what's it called um paragliding down not paragliding oh um Abseiling. Abseiling down. Yes, that was a big we're, thing. A we're a site for, um, um, for charity abseils yeah. a lot. So there was charity abseils that took place in October for mm-hmm. St David's and for Alzheimer's yeah. Research UK as well. Um, but also you can get on the gondola as a pedestrian or even drive mm-hmm. on with your car and it takes you straight across mm-hmm. to the other side. Um, but the reason it was built was because at the sort of in the beginning of the 1900s then the only other river crossing was town bridge right okay and obviously for for the communities that were were um sort of sparking up within the pill area then it would have meant 
a four mile walk if they worked over on the east side. Yeah. So that would have been a four mile walk all the way into town, past a number of pubs, cross, <laughs> crossing town bridge and coming back down to the to the east the side. Pubs is the, is key the thing, pubs, it? yeah. So people obviously wanted their workers to turn up on time um, and sober. And so when Lysets, the steelworks, were looking at potentially moving down from Wolverhampton, there was competition from not only ourselves but also from Barry. Right. And so in order to entice them to make our offer a little bit more um, favourable, they said, well, the Newport Corporation, who I guess was like the council at that mm-hmm. time, said that they would com- they would um, have a commitment to build another river crossing, mm-hmm. which was which would bridge that gap then from Pill over to the east side where mm-hmm. the steelworks would be relocated, but then also those communities would be being built up on, on that east side. Mm-hmm. Um and so, yeah, they saw Lysett's move to Steelworks down, 1898, I think it was. And then um, work began on the bridge in um, nine, 1902, and then it was opened in 1906, so it took four years to complete. Wow. But the reason they chose a transporter bridge, yeah, ask, and not any other options, yeah. um, the borough engineer at that time, Robert Haynes, looked at a number of options. And because of it be in that particular site, then most of them were ruled out. So he couldn't, he didn't want, um, his subway would have been too expensive and be limited to pedestrians only. Mm -hmm. Um, A standard bridge, like town bridge, would need a really long approach on either side because the ships were going into the docks. Mm. The bridge would have needed to have been a substantial height in order to allow the ships to, to pass underneath. And then he saw this idea of a of a transporter bridge in an engineering magazine. Oh, wow. And one was being built over in Rouen. Mm. And so he took a number of delegates from the Newport Corporation over to Rouen to see the transporter mm. bridge. And um, it's a bit of a jolly, really. <laughs> and they abs- More pubs. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And they absolutely loved it. You know, we've got a fantastic photograph in the collection wow. of the group on top of the, the Rouen transporter yeah. bridge with the designer, um, Arnadin. And, you know, I think he probably schmoozed them, as you do. Yeah. And they decided that they were going to name him joint engineer with Robert wow. Haynes. And then he began, you know, creating the design and the plans for it. And then, yeah, four mm-hmm. years. But it was incredible because at the time when it was opened, you know, it's an electrically powered bridge now all of the homes around it would have been sort of powered by um would have been heated by um coal and mm. powered by gas. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so it's a it would it's a again. completely different thing and yeah. such an impressive structure as well. It really would have been like mm. seeing the the future on their doorstep. Yeah. It was a monumental thing at that time. Um we've got footage of the opening ceremony mm. and it was the first time that any event had been filmed wow. in Newport and it was the opening of the transporter yeah. bridge. So it kind of shows that in people's minds at that time, mm. it was such an impressive thing to yeah. see and it was a, a really big deal. Mm. Thousands of people turned up on the opening day to see it, thousands. Mm. And you just think, goodness me, like, now mm. would we be able to, to generate that, yeah. that, um, that amount of people, those crowds mm. and that interest in something? You know how do we would be how do we do that now? It would be interesting to see that you know with if if the visitor center potentially gets yeah. built, what sort of projects can be launching around that? You know, it's all very exciting and sort of 
not a not a relaunch of the transporter bridge, but well, it will, you know, yeah, it, because if we get if we get the funding, then mm. um, then at the end of next season, so at the end, you know, beginning of October, we'll be closed for two years for the redevelopment. Oh, really? So we'll have to carry out the restoration work yeah. on the bridge, um, and also then have the time to to build the new visitor mm. centre. And for those people who visited the site before, our current visitor centre is just not equipped. Mm. To deal saying, with a volume, with any volume of visitors, mm. to be honest, you know, because would the visitor centre be on the same, on the same foot footprint? Yeah, yeah. so be on the west side, on the okay. on the pill side, and currently, you know, if there's five of us in that visitor centre, is full. That's it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh my goodness! If you have a coachload of visitors and they're queuing out oh, the door to get in, I and know. we've you know we've only got one toilet mm. in there and everything else um and if i have any school parties down there i panic thinking oh, if it rains i'm screwed yeah you know what am i going to do with 35 kids if it's raining um yeah. so it's always a bit of a bit of a hairy moment for mm. me but you know the new visitor center will sort of eliminate all of our yeah. problems you know we'll have space in there mm. to do a range of different activities so we're looking at lots of activities around health and well-being so things like potentially Tai Chi on the bridge Ooh. or yoga on the bridge. That sounds brilliant. Yeah, we might oh my start on the, bridge. on the gondola itself, yeah. Because well, the, as it's moving. The, the beauty of Sorry. it. Yeah, no, no, that's it. So you can get on and either have it consistently moving from side to side or, as we did with Moby Dick, we can stop it in the middle and of the river and it's really difficult, isn't it, because it's got, you've got such a busy road mm. on there on the west side but yet when you're in the middle if it's stopped it's really easy to kind of like block off mm. that road noise and when we when, when I watched Moby Dick mm. I just completely lost all track of where I was yeah. because there was the soft sort of ever so slight movement of the gondola in the breeze mm. anyway and watching this performance take place right in front of you was just incredible, yeah. utterly, utterly incredible, and now that Tin Shed, you know, sort of paved the way mm. and showed us that something could be possible like this, you know, for them to have that vision, yeah, was just groundbreaking. I think mm. for us as a museum service, and it really did demonstrate mm. to us that if you know we shouldn't have any limitations in our mind, mm. we've just got to try everything because it's those kind of unique experiences that people want mm. and that's what's going to get keep people coming back um we're going to be doing spoken word yeah. events next year as well um and then obviously lots of standard things you'd expect yeah. to see so family craft activities we're mm. going to have an artist in residence nice. um school workshops mm. group visits but what's going to be lovely is that we're going to have a dedicated gallery which will tell the story of the bridge mm. Because, as you said, you know, people just don't understand why it was there. Yeah. Um, and I think there is there sort of a generation of people in Newport who've still got very fond memories mm. of that bridge. Because either they used it every day and it was ingrained in their sort mm. of daily routine or their family did. Yeah. So it was a case of, you know, their fathers maybe being steel workers at the time who were using the bridge to go back and forth to work. Mm. Um or people, I mean, we've had so many lovely stories mm. of people sort of going up to the top walkway and, you know, throwing paper aeroplanes yeah. off the top or the, the awful ones that we hear all the time oh. about how people used to hang underneath the gondola <gasps> and then drop off into the river below. 
and then swim to the bank. Now, I've got no idea how on earth they could have ever done that because the tidal range yeah, of the Esk is massive. You know, it's the second largest tidal range in the world. Mm. I think a lot, I never knew that until I started working mm. on the project. Um, and it's just something you take for granted, yeah. isn't it? You see the river and, and you, you just, just, think, you just think, oh, it's just a river. Yeah, yeah I don't, don't pay any attention to mm. that at all. Um, but yeah, so it's, and it's a very fast current at times mm. as well. And, um, and you just think, how on earth could you have dropped into that? <laughs> Lucky. Yeah, but it's interesting <laughs> because they think, when you look at it, you think, oh, it's really dirty. Mm. But actually, it's just because of the silt off the bottom. Yeah. That's all it is, yeah. mainly. I mean, obviously, you know, it's rubbish yeah. and it's with everything. But that I also found that really mm. interesting because I just thought, same, oh, it's a dirty river. Yeah. But it's not, you know, and it's got otters. It contains otters mm. and, you know, some of the staff have seen poor poises. Okay. Yeah, so it's it's definitely a great spot for nature mm. as well. I was gonna say it is a really beautiful spot. I think, um, especially when I drive, it's like around that corner. It's sort of six o'clock at night in the summer when the sun's coming down and it just yeah. hits like the top right bit of the bridge. It's oh, it's lush. Some of the photographs mm. that you can see through social media are just incredible. Mm. I think it's definitely a landmark that people enjoy taking photographs of. Yeah. Um, you know, and people have written poems about it and stories about it. So it definitely sparks something mm. in people. Um, and I think, yeah, we've been doing... Next year, we've got planned more of the sunset oh, extended lovely. openings. Mm. Because watching the sunset from the top is fantastic yeah, as well. Because... You know, on a clear night, you can see for miles and miles. You can see all of Newport, mm. but you can also see across to Bristol yeah. and to Western. Mm. And, um, yeah, it's just it's a great vantage point mm. to kind yeah. of see what we've got. <laughs> so what can the community do to help support you guys in We desperately need community support. There's no way in the world that we're going to get mm. our Stage 2 funding without the support of the community and mm. local businesses mm. we need to raise a certain amount of match funding mm-hmm. and therefore we do have a um just giving page if people are able to make donations um but even if they can't make a monetary donation there's so much that we can do yeah. we need people to be advocates on our behalf we need people to be coming along to visit us you know, so our visitor yeah. numbers are increased first and foremost. Yeah. We need people then to go away and to tell people about mm. the bridge and to explain why it's important mm-hmm. to encourage people to come and visit us. Mm. Um, and also, I mean, you know, if if you are, we've got a fantastic um, friends of the Transporter Bridge who mm. are also attached to us. And, you know, you can join to become a friend of the Transporter Bridge, I think, for something like £10 a year. Oh, okay. It's not it's not a vast amount of money, no. but every every penny counts, yeah, you know. And, yeah. and realistically, what you're doing is showing that there's support here for the work that we're doing. You know, we are trying to preserve something for future generations. Mm. You know, so it's kind of like we're celebrating the past by trying to, to safeguard it for the future. Yeah. You know, and that's and that's part and parcel of what we do. Um, or if you've got suggestions about activities that we mm. should see, you know, we've had um some is a company called SW Fitness, and he's a personal trainer, 
and he uses the bridge as part of his boot camp. Oh, brilliant. So he brings his boot, boot, his boot camp participants over to the bridge. Mm. They climb the stairs <gasps> for the first for the first time anyway. And then they um they do they do all the stuff with the ropes on top oh, of the bridge, like, yeah. you know, to build their arm muscles. They do lunges, mm. going across the top walkway. Goodness. And things like wow. that. It's just amazing to yeah. watch. Like, I don't know how people do it. I really don't. <laughs> because I think with the steps, um, it's really interesting. Because they're all slightly different sizes, the steps are. Oh, are they? Yeah, only ever so slightly. But it just puts you off But it just bit. puts you off. It's hard to get into any sort of momentum with them. And um, and I've got big man feet. And it's difficult then, you know, to come down without walking like a duck. Um, but yeah, so any sort of innovative ways that... that they think that we should be mm. using the bridge. But I think, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're doing, we're doing a lot of engagement. So if you if they're um, a member of any group mm-hmm. and they have um, guest speakers come in, mm-hmm. then, you know, get in touch with me, you know, via our, our Twitter account. We're at NPT Bridge. We've also got a Facebook page, again, um, forward slash NPT Bridge. Um, and, yeah, just get in touch. And, you know, I'm more than happy to come along and talk to people about the history of the bridge you know, and, and I think it's just, it's just let's create a positive buzz about yeah. the redevelopment because sometimes it can be quite heartbreaking for, mm. for myself, you know, who's who's working so hard on this project <laughs> and I'm loving it so I'm really excited about it, but it is knackering. Yeah. And then to read, um, you know, people's comments on things sometimes mm. saying, well, why are they even bothering? It's a waste of money. Mm. And, you know, it's, as a local authority, we have, you know, we've been slashed so much yeah. as a heritage service that we have to get grant funding, and then for grant bodies to see people saying, "Why are we doing that?" Yeah. Sometimes the barrier is how to engage local people rather than how we're going to get tourists in. Yeah. And that's just you know, and it's something that you know, mm. it's easy to take something for granted when it's on your doorstep, yeah. but one day it might not be there. Mm. Because if we don't if we don't do this redevelopment project now and the restoration project, in five years' time our bridge is going to be non operational again. Mm. And it'll just stand there. Mm. And that's the problem. You know, we we need mm. this money from the from the heritage fund, yeah. but we need, you know, local businesses. If you become involved with the Friends of the Bridge as a corporate member, mm. or if you think you can, you know, sponsor a rivet. <laughs> You know, there's over a million rivets in our structure. Do you know what I mean? Check us a tenor and sponsor a sponsor rivet. Sponsor a rivet. Yeah. Hashtag sponsor a rivet. I'm going to put that on. Yeah. That's what we need, you know. And it's, no, it is, yeah. And it's a nice thing to say then that you've contributed to something. You know, you've, yeah. you've made something happen. Mm. That's what we need. We need people to help us make this happen. Yeah. And it's as simple as that. It's our history. Mm. We should take care of it. So to finish the podcast, Mm -hmm. we're going to finish our three sentences. Okay. Which I can never remember. (laughs) (laughs) You think I would? Because they're so important. It just goes out my head. Yeah. So, the first sentence is, I love my job because... I love my job because I feel like I can make a difference. In five years' time, our new visitor centre will be up and running. <laughs> the bridge will be restored fully, um, and I'm hoping I'll still be involved in the project. Brilliant. And the last one is I'm happiest when I'm talking to people and hearing stories. I love hearing stories. Mm.
I could talk to people all day about their lives and I think that's that's probably why I got into engagement in the first place. I'm very nosy. Or <laughs> <laughs> <Also> so am I. <laughs> massive thank you to Emma for sitting down with me and having a chat it was brilliant to learn so much more about the bridge and the museum stuff that I didn't even know even though I come from Newport if you want to learn more about the bridge or Emma they're on twitter under at Emma underscore Neurick or at NPT bridge so go and have a little look and see how you can support I have to say a massive thank you as well to Joshua David Bartholomew for writing our music for this series again. And a big thank you to all of you for listening. I'll see you all again next week. Bye.